0: An ironic media production. Visit us at Once I saw the cycle of grief and I understood the cycle, I had the wisdom to know that your mind actually needs and your body needs a reprieve. So your mind gives you that reprieve from grief because it's overwhelming and it's also very, very hard on your body. Typical people in deep grief are really their adrenals are so stressed out and your adrenal system is just overfiring all the time. You can't sleep, you're not eating properly, you know, you're not doing anything in your life that's balanced and healthy because you just you're just surviving. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to try and realize that that mechanism is in place to keep you healthy and to keep you safe and to keep you from going into the whirlpool and not coming out.
1: Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, I have Christine Carlson and I am so excited to share her with you. She is a New York Times bestselling author. Her husband wrote, Don't Sweat the Small sub, which I had mentioned on the podcast that it is one of my favorite books reading as a teenager, but I gave it to my dad as a Father's Day gift and I wound up reading it. And I was funny because I was listening to one of your other interviews, Christine, and you said most of our books end up in the bathroom. And that is exactly where I had read it. And I was like, do I tell her that? And it is exactly the moment where you said, and most of our books end up in bathrooms. So I thought that was really funny, <laughs> but she is so much more accomplished than that. I mean, it's incredible the amount of things you've been doing since Don't Sweat the Small Stuff came out. And I'm also interested in the journey before that because- it's a lot to be stepping into the huge superpower that you've become on this planet, you know, helping women through these transformations, you experienced the death of your husband, Richard, which was obviously a shock and you still, you picked yourself up and you have developed a system for getting through such a transformational time. So I am so excited to talk to you about that. I am all about transformation and helping people to find the joy and purpose that they have always been looking for. So thank you for being here.
0: Oh my gosh, Amy, it's a pleasure. Your enthusiasm is just contagious. I love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't even believe that I was reading the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff over and over and over again. And it was odd because like I was younger, you know, and I was just already drawn to it. I still, I don't remember my childhood very much, but I do remember that. (laughs) I do remember fondly (laughs) reading that. Tell me, what was your life like before that? I know you had a wonderful marriage and you were very happy.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean- Richard and I, we had an amazing marriage. We really did. From the time we met in college, we're college sweethearts. We had a connection that was beyond anything I've ever experienced since. So I've had a lot of like soulmate connections in my life, but Richard was definitely that and so much more. Yeah. So we had a 20, 22 year marriage. We were together 25 years. I have to say like in 25 years we probably had three arguments all due to my PMS. <laughs> <laughs> like Richard was just such a very driven man but very laid back. He moved fast both internally and externally but he was very relaxed. So he had this wonderful combination of all these great qualities where his relaxed nature didn't change the fact that he had high goals and high standards and He had a lot of work that he wanted to accomplish while he was here. And when he found his stride in writing, I was right by his side that whole time, you know, because we really grew up together. And it was just an amazing thing to watch. It was as if he had always been a writer, but didn't know it. And then he couldn't stop writing and didn't want to stop writing until the end of his life. In fact, when he died suddenly on an airplane on the descent of the flight. In 2006, he was working on an article called Being More Loving and Kind to Yourself. He was always writing, and and he had his true joy, his true purpose was in really observing life, knowing what made people tick from his psychology background, and then teaching them how to practice life in a very common sense, approachable way which is why as a young person, we used to say that our audience was really broad because it was really eight years old to 80 years old, because we have always taught very simple ways to do your life that everyone can relate to at any age. And I think that's a beautiful thing that you were reading it as a teen. I'm sure it had a lot of impact on you.
1: It did. And I went on to get a psychology degree and now I help people with energy psychology. So it's pretty amazing how it all worked out. But I I do remember because I grew up in a chaotic environment and finding the peace was really important. And I just remember, I guess even before I was even aware of feeling energy, I could feel the energy of the book and it was peaceful to me. And the words were peaceful to me. And he seemed so approachable, you know, even if you're just reading it, it just seems so natural to integrate it. And I remember thinking that even at a young age now, what year did that come out the first time?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's having its 25th anniversary right now. It came out in 1997. And then it basically, it was from the time it came out, it was considered one of the fastest selling books of all time you know interestingly it was at a time when technology was really just really on the rise like email and you know dot com era and everything was really popping with the web and all of that for the first time and you know he used to say this is so funny because everyone thinks all this stuff is going to give us more time he's like it doesn't give us more time it just keeps us more busy you know <laughs> yeah. so people people were very overwhelmed by technology at that time and i think that what we have seen with the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff Brandon series of books, which there are now nine in the series, yeah. is an uptick in searching and use because of the time period we're in. Like So there's actually been an uptick lately because of the time we're in, because it's overwhelming to be in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And and I love what you said. Over the years, the, the thousands of letters that have come in, basically what you just said is the main reason that people love the book so much is that they had a, a some kind of level of feeling of chaos or anxiety in their lives they read the book started doing the things that were in the book and then felt better and felt calmer and felt more peace and i do love that that richard's work was so simply stated he kind of was able to transcend so many different barriers in society you know when you look at religion language just all those different barriers that people generally have, um, race, all of those things, even sex, you know, it, it just didn't matter. That book really resonated with so many people. And yes, it, it did end up <clears throat> in a lot of bathrooms. <laughs> <So> <laughs> next, to bed, next to
1: bedside. bedside yes, yes, yep, yep. Well, it was small and it was portable, whatever. So one of the things that I am curious about is like when you envisioned your life, could you have ever imagined that you would be doing the things that you're doing now? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I, I really applaud you so much. I know, you know, how amazing it is that you went from the death of your husband to then stepping into the brand and then sharing it even more. So writing more and more books. I mean, you can't even keep up with how many books you've done. And now you're going to be in a lifetime movie or it's coming out on October 16th. I mean, this is so huge, and I'm just curious like, did you have an awareness? Because it seems like, eerily, Richard did have an awareness that he'd leave quite soon on the planet. I mean, he was 43, I think, when he passed so suddenly. So, I don't know, I just find it very interesting. How did you feel?
0: Yeah, you know, I so interesting the whole thing. Like, I don't even think if you it asked me when I was a kid would I ever be an author of a book? I mean, I didn't even know that I would ever know an author of a book, much less be married to one, you know? Mm -hmm. So the way I've lived my life is that I'm a big yes to most of life. And in some ways I've had to learn to be more discerning in my life, less trusting, more discerning and all sorts of things like that, because I've always been such a big yes to anything that really excites me, anything that makes me feel like, It pushes my envelope a little bit, makes me feel a little on the edge. And, you know, there's something about our life together. Uh, It was initially, it was easier for me to settle into my life carrying on versus like not doing that because it gave me that grounding that I was so searching for. Because when your beloved spouse dies, you know, it's, It leaves a huge hole in your family's life, and it takes a long time to find your bearings in that. And it takes a lot of emptying of your grief to go through that and to come out the other side. Meanwhile, it gave me a sense of real purpose and meaning to really understand that I wasn't living for just myself any longer, that I was also living for Richard. And because, yes, he did die at actually 45, I was 43. But good memory because you probably read that. (laughs) I've read a lot about you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And close enough, he was young. He was a young man. I was young. Nobody expects to die suddenly Mm -hmm. at that age. You just don't expect that. So, and I'm sure Richard was as surprised as the rest of the world was, you know, when it happened. But there's something about carrying on for him and knowing that he was in my heart and knowing that we were so connected. In life that we would be also so connected beyond life. It just gave me this sense of purpose and meaning that I needed to keep going. And initially, I didn't really know, to be honest with you, what my own message was or how that would emerge. But I was in a process of complete surrender. And I did have this sense, you're going to probably laugh at this, but I did have this sense of jeez, if I have to wake up like this, I'm going to wake other people up too. <laughs> you know, like yes. I had this like, it was kind of like this. It's not, I, this is so unfair that I'm going to take everyone along this journey with me. <laughs> and, and so, you know, my, my kind of message in the mess really emerged as wake up to your inspired life, wake up before it's too late, wake up, while you can don't wait for somebody to die to wake up to what's really important to you, you mm. know and really wake up now and so that became my message for women and it just emerged out of healing and out of my own grief and and then also really instilling and in people wanting to really instill the idea that just because you go through this horrible thing, this death, it doesn't mean your life is over. And it doesn't mean that, yeah, oh my God, I, it is horrendously painful. And Mm -hmm. I have so much compassion for people who are going through the first two years of loss because it isn't just one year. It's, it's two really tough years. Like the research shows for a widow like myself, it's really 15 years it takes to truly heal And it doesn't mean you're not going to have love or you're not going to have relationships. Believe me, my love life has been anything but boring over this time (laughs) period. (laughs) But that said, I have not gotten even close to partnering up with anyone. I find that really interesting that now it's at the 15th year and I ask myself, am I ready for that? And I don't know what the answer is yet, but I do know that I have had five grandchildren birthed. My daughters have grown up. I'm very proud of them both. And I've continued on and continued our legacy and also established my own, which feels really, really like a a proud time for me as a woman that's, you know, I'm 58 now. So I've, I've really gone through a long cycle now. And I, I feel definitely like about at the 10-year mark, I was out the other side. And I can talk about it. I can be in it. I can really talk about it with such ease now. And of course, I still get choked up when I say there's certain times where I think of Richard and I just so wish he was here in human form so that we could play with our grandkids on the floor together Mm. so that he could walk my daughters down the aisle in their, their weddings so that he could be here in form for all those moments. But then I talk to a medium every now and then, and he's always here. So (laughs) he gets to see be and you know everywhere he wants to be but we miss him mm-hmm. you know and we miss his laugh we miss his playfulness we miss all those things about him like everyone does in life so
1: he really was able to get everybody into the present moment and realize how important that was or oh is. my god yeah
0: great teaching. And boy, did he teach me that in my loss? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember hearing you say, you know, you, there was a time period where you weren't feeling as present and now you are way more present. So do you, what did you do to help heal in those first two years that you think was really helpful or really transformational for yourself?
0: We worked with a transpersonal psychologist in the Bay area when we were very young and learned how to meditate from her and really learned so much. She was an amazing resource. And She and her mom taught us this mantra that we used to really do a lot, which was surrender, trust, and accept. In some ways, you could say it's a shortened serenity prayer. It's about, you know, really surrendering to what you cannot change and and knowing that there's a difference between what you can change and what you cannot change. And, you know, there's just like always one question I've always asked myself, and that is, this is annoying. This is upsetting. This is like really awful, but can I change this? And, you know, certainly in traffic, it's the, it's annoying, right? Well, you mm-hmm. can't change traffic either. so You have to surrender to it. Well, when you're going through loss, the same thing is true is you can't change the fact that your person died. There's no changing that. And so, you know, if you don't know how to grieve, believe me, it's kind of like childbirth. <laughs> You just get your way through it as long as you surrender to it. You know, Uh it's like childbirth is like that. You know, you're like, you can take all the classes you want. You can try and prepare. And then, you know, in the moment when you're having that baby and you're like, holy shit, none of that works. I'm going to have to find my own way through this. And you start doing whatever it takes to get through it. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of like grief. But if you resist grief or if you try and deny it, I feel like it's going to turn into something else. It could turn into illness. It could turn into a lot of stress and anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. You know, that a, is a big mis- misnomer that people think that grief is depression. It is not. Grief is an emotional response to some loss or change that you haven't accepted yet. And so until you accept that change that's happened to your life, you are going to be in grief. So for me, you know, I'm always like, well, let's find the shortest way out of the rabbit hole, you yeah. know, and really the shortest way out is just to not deny your feelings of grief, not feed them either, you know, not to feed them either. And that means what I mean by that is it's very helpful to put some of the don't sweat the small stuff tools into practice. And one of them you might remember is don't get on a snowball loop of thinking, you know, like snowball thinking is basically a pattern of thought that's always going to start small and grow big and if you you can do the same thing in grief like you can start with a thought and get on a really negative thought and it can grow into a great big snowball and so where i found it very helpful is that i would learn what my patterns of thought were that were taking me into despair and i would start to see those patterns of thought as a pattern that I could not necessarily stop once it started. Well, I could, I, you can't reverse a thought once you've had it, but you can reverse the direction of your thoughts moving forward. And so I would see that I was going on this snowball and I'd be like, oh, I know where that's gonna take me. I know exactly what I'm gonna be feeling at the end of that snowball. So then I could pull my attention back to the present moment. And just be in the moment and ask myself, well, how am I feeling right now? Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling okay? If it's feeling sad, then I might just ask myself, what, what do you need right now? You know, what is it that you need right now? And this is kind of at the very heart of mindfulness is to look towards your body to tell you, to look inward, to ask some questions of curiosity, and then to be mindfully approaching with your intention. What are you going to do about it? You know, what? what is it that you need? And then also being very kind and gentle with yourself and being very, you know, self-compassionate. This is so important for somebody who's going through loss is to be very, very self-compassionate and to really remove yourself from anybody in your sphere that is not compassionate. You know, like you want to put yourself in a protective cocoon for a time. And if you're in a, you have toxic friendships or relationships at all, or you're in a a toxic job or anything, you want to try and do something that's going to sort of create some space from that. If you can't, if you can at all, because you need this time to just be in a cocoon that feels safe and warm and healing, Um, because that's really ultimately when you're um, in a time of loss, you've you've gone from having a life that maybe you love or don't love so much, but you, you know, it was your life and your life suddenly changes and you're going to resist that change for a while. You know, acceptance doesn't come to everyone super easily. And in that acceptance process, you know, as you surrender to what is present for you in the moment and you ask yourself with curiosity, those questions that we just went over, it's very, very helpful um, to allowing yourself to be in a grieving process without feeding it um, too much thought and attention or, you know, extra attention, you know, like we, Mm -hmm. we don't need to be in darkness and grief every moment of every day when we're going through loss.
1: You know, I've, I've worked with many people who have had a similar situation where they've lost someone who was really close to them. One of the things that they struggle with is how people do think they should be going through a dark night all the time. And then when they're happy, they feel guilty. Did you go through that?
0: No. Good. <laughs> how did, I did you not go I, through it? I think I, I had the wisdom to know that once I saw the cycle of grief and I understood the cycle, I had the wisdom to know that your mind actually needs and your body needs a reprieve. So your mind gives you that reprieve from grief because it's overwhelming and it's also very very hard on your body. Typical people in deep grief are really their adrenals are so stressed out and your adrenal system is just overfiring all the time. You can't sleep, you're not eating properly you know, you're not doing anything in your life that's balanced and healthy because you're just surviving. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to try and realize that that mechanism is in place to keep you healthy and to keep you safe and to keep you from going into the whirlpool and not coming out. And I think it's very healthy to realize that you're going to have Ups and downs, and griefs, and grief comes in waves. And when you're not in a cycle of grief, man, you should celebrate it because Mm -hmm. it's coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's coming back, and you you don't need to feel guilty that because here's another thing: people think that it's true that we grieve because we loved deeply, but grief and love are not synonymous. You know, you did somebody might get through their grief relatively in a short period of time, because they're so mentally healthy and well, and they can get perspective very quickly, or maybe they've done this process before, and it somehow it, they know how to go through it a little quicker than the next person. It doesn't mean they loved any less. And I think that's, right. those are some of the societal pressures that are put mm-hmm. on us as things like, oh, you wouldn't, if you really loved your husband after he died, you'd never want another lover. Or if you Mm -hmm. really loved your husband, you'd grieve all the time forever. And you'd (laughs) grieve for years and years and years, every single day, forever and ever. And these are are just myths. These are Mm -hmm. things that we've been told that are not true. I always say to people now, like you have this precious life to live. And part of living is to address your sorrow in life. And that's very alive too. Without it, without our sorrow, we certainly wouldn't know the true meaning of joy. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly what it did for me was I was cracked open so wide, which is why I wrote a book called Heartbroken Open. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was cracked open so wide that I didn't realize that my joy was gonna grow exponentially to my heartbreak. And as my heart was broken and it healed, I actually had a bigger heart. It's like all the cracks filled in and my heart was expanded in how much I could love and how much I could feel this sense of humanity and how I wanted to help people. And I understood my husband's heart so much better. Like his heart was already that big and mine was just growing into that. And his death you know, brought me into my heart in such a beautiful, beautiful way. It was a tremendous gift to me. And it's not something I could have said for many, many years, but I really believe that Richard and I had a soul contract and that we had this contract and that I was there to support and love him as he really reached his human potential And do I think he could have done so much more on the planet? Yes, absolutely. There's no doubt that if Richard Carlson had lived, he would be one of the great thought leaders of this day and still is considered that 15 years after his death. But that wasn't to be. I just think that life is a miracle and it's really for us to live. And yeah, we're going to go through our losses, but when we come out the other side, if you choose, if you choose to allow your healing process to make you a better person and not a bitter person, you're going to be so much better for having gone through what you've been through and so much stronger and wiser.
1: I absolutely agree. And that is, you said that so beautifully, what a beautiful love story. I mean, Obviously it's not traditional, right? Because there was a an abrupt ending, but it continued and in such a beautiful way. And it has really become a love story that we've all been a part of and are all probably very grateful to be a part of. And I'm so glad that you stepped into it and you didn't resist the new life that you were being given. It's Thank really you. amazing. Thank you. Every podcast is encoded with a healing and the healing today was that power to choose the path you know so that we all have that power to choose the life that we want and here you are living it <laughs> this new choice that you you made personally thankfully i have not gone through such a similar situation i don't know how i would handle it i do have very much the same principles and mindsets and have been through the healing work and all that and understand it but to really live it is really beautiful to watch um i you know i i'm very sensitive to energy so i watching you speak about it and having that experience as a child, reading his book and then everything coming together. I'm like, wow, I can really feel the love that was there. And, and the, it's almost like another child that you brought into this world as much bigger than anything that you could even imagine. So I also was thinking how grateful you must be that you had the 10 years where you had that huge success with don't sweat the small stuff. So you got to live it with him, the yes. success of it. So that's really wonderful.
0: It was so much fun, honestly. I mean, it really was such an amazing part of our journey. And just to see his excitement at his own accomplishment and, and just to be like, wow, like pinch us, you know, like just pinch us that this happened to our lives. And, you know, I asked Richard once, I was like, God, how did this happen? And he just was like, you know, because I thought a lot about that. And he said, "I, I just think, The divine operates in a way that you're an open-hearted, pure-hearted person, and you allow your inspiration to come through you as an instrument of the divine. And when you do that, then the divine chooses you because you offer yourself. And that's something that I have taken with me that I teach a lot, and I help other people write their books in another business I do called bookdoulas.com.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so great. I love the title that I didn't even know about. You're doing so many different things. I don't I can't keep up. That's amazing and so fun.
0: Yeah, no, it really is. I have to say, honestly, Amy, that's where my joy is now, is really because I think for all those years I helped Richard so much. And now my partner Deborah Evans and I are doing this business. I've been doing it for a couple of years really teaching people how to become authors and get their books started and then helping other helping people publish their books. And it's just so much joy. It fills my heart with so much joy to see people you know, have this message that comes from a lot of the mess of their lives mm-hmm. or from a therapist or counselor like yourself who's worked with so many people. And then they come forward with this incredible message that again, in a different way will change lives. And if you are in that position, I think that's the most amazing position in the world because then you're really helping the true influencers, the people who are going to go out there and be those pioneers in the world with messages. That's kind of where my attention is, I think, going to go more in the next 10 years is with book doulas, more in a publishing company. And in that capacity, it just feels like it's in my wheelhouse.
1: I can understand that with 30 million books in print, you definitely have some experience. And I love the idea of a doula for anybody out there who doesn't understand what a doula is. It's somebody who helps you give birth and is like very supportive and makes meals and like just everything that you'd want as a new mom or a mom in general. So that I love the title. It's so perfect because you are giving birth. It is actually, in fact, when we create something, it's coming from our second chakra, same as a baby. So that is really fun. So, I mean, you've had such an incredible life. It's, it seems obvious why Lifetime would want to do a movie about you. So how, what is that like to have a movie made about your own life? And then it's starring Heather Locklear. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Well, gosh, I'll tell you more about that when it's all done. (laughs) It comes out October 16th. That's in a a couple of weeks, but yeah, it's been really weird. I mean, you just never think that's going to happen, honestly. And then to have Heather Locklear play me is just such an honor. And She's such a sweetheart too. I've really gotten to know her. We've become good friends. And it's just kind of a wow. I I again like I just couldn't have planned this up. You know, I I couldn't have, I think it's it's a pinnacle on a lot of levels for an author to have a book like Heartbroken Open as the basis of the Lifetime movie be picked up by a network like that and give it that much credo and say, wow, this is a great story. You guys have an amazing brand story. You have an amazing love story. You have an amazing story as a woman who stands empowered in a, in a broken place. And let's go ahead and do this. And, you know, it's interesting because this was well underway before COVID. And at first they were like, we don't want a really sad story. We don't want too much grief. And then COVID happened. We want more grief. We want it to be, you know, it has to be more relatable. <laughs> <laughs> Which worked for me because I, I didn't I didn't like it that it wasn't gonna have as much grief. And I like it that they've addressed grief more in this latest version of the movie. And it it's beautiful. I think they really put so much heart into this story and it's as true to life as it can be and still become a movie. But in every situation, the timeline's a little different, but in every situation. It is has a truth of a story that I shared with Shannon Kaleary, the writer, and of the screenplay. Then I think Heather went the extra mile. She came out and really spent time with me to get to know me and mm. we found out that our personalities are so similar that it really as long as she played the like cleaner cut version of herself. <laughs> <laughs> she, she she has that rocker man she's got a mouth on her sometimes that's hilarious like I think it's so funny but she also has this just very genuine heart and very empathic like super super empathic it, it did not surprise me she's an amazing actress because man I tell her story and she'd get chills and she'd cry like it was like constant. Oh my God, I'm getting chills again. Oh my God, I'm going to cry again. Oh my God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what you want, right? You want her to be able yeah. to get the real you across to people. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Wow. It was really cool. Really cool. And then being on set was super fun.
1: <laughs> I can't believe that you, you're watching your life kind of play out in front of you. That's, that's also
0: interesting. I know I'm a little, I'm a little more concerned about my kids. You know, I was thinking, God, I'm, I'm probably going to have to give them a, really nice Christmas check this year. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be like, what the hell? You threw us under the bus, mom. <laughs> no.
1: That's funny. I'm watching At least they're,
0: they're both like in their thirties now, like Kenneth's turning 30. Jazz is 32. Jazz has five kids. So they're not that nervous. They really five aren't. Five kids, they're like, wow. Yeah, she really, whoa, she's been on the mother track all those years. So yeah, yeah it's been kind of crazy for her.
1: I was the middle of six and I have a twin sister. So that's why we're in the middle. So anytime I hear about a big family, I'm always like, I love all the love that's there, but I know what they're going through. It's like a circus chaos. Yeah. Chaos. Right. (laughs) That's the best way to describe it. Nothing was permanent. Everything was like, and that's why I really, really gravitated towards the book because it really felt like it was so grounding and peaceful and gave me a way to deal with like the chaos and come into the present moment, be okay with it. So is there anything else you would love to share with us? I know that you have this process for going through grief, but you hit on some of the things uh, such as the early stages. What about the later stages?
0: Yeah, so I have two books I've written. One is Heartbroken Open, a true story of coming back alive again after profound loss. And that's my memoir. And then my next book I wrote was called From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy. That's more my how to grieve book. Um, okay. published that's by St. Martin's Press. Yeah. And both are available on Amazon, but that one is really, you know, I identified really early on in my loss that one of the things that really helped me to be empowered in it was to realize that I was not going to live as a victim of my circumstances. Now I dug my heels in on that one and <laughs> dug my heels in early. <laughs> like I, I, think I really a lot was, of us do. was like, yeah, I was pretty pissed. Like that, I had this great life, and then suddenly it was in shambles. <laughs> you know, I was like, "Whoa, what the heck?" Like, I that's just you know, what the heck? So, I really just decided that I didn't know what it was going to take, but that I really wanted to live an amazing life, and and so I just chose, you know, immediately. And I knew to choose that, so I knew that I had a choice, and that's probably where I might have been a, a, a step or two ahead of the average person is I really did understand I had a choice. And that if I chose one way, I might just be a depressed, awful person having a very sorrow-filled life. Mm -hmm. And if I choose to stand in what was given to me and honor it, and to honor the love that I have with Richard and to honor him, then I was going to stand in these circumstances. And yeah, I wasn't going to bypass grief. Uh, I was going to go through grief. And I didn't even know what that was going to be like. But I was going to arrive at a place where I knew that I was going to be a better person. I knew I was going to be a better person from this because I just didn't feel like you could do anything else with it. I just felt like, wow, this is going to have to count for my growth. Really? I'm going to have to grow from this. This is going to be so awful. I need to grow from this. Something good has to come out of this. And it did. Yeah. And so
1: you were raising two daughters through that time. And you had to be there for them. Was that very difficult to try to figure out on your own and share what you were learning as you were going?
0: Yeah. I mean, imagine you have a life partner who's the best father in the world, best (laughs) life partner, and then he's gone one day, just gone. And then you're like a single mom, like in your early 40s, just suddenly with two teenage daughters. And we all know that teenage years are a mess, anyways. So Mm -hmm. add, add, losing a parent, a beloved parent to that whole equation. And it's very messy. I mean, it is so messy and it's so messy for the kids and so messy for the mom. But you know what? My kids were the reason that I really knew I had to get up every single day and put my feet over the bed and say, I don't know what this is going to take today, but I'm going to meet this day. And I did, you know, I just, I did, I did it for them. Now they sometimes thought like that they didn't know when I when I they went to school that I fell apart. I would hold it together and get them off to school. And then as soon as they would leave, I would just be like on the floor crying. And I would sometimes grieve in front of them because I thought that was healthy, but there's sort of this dance that you do as a family where, you know, they were young and they had to do grief in their own way in their own time. And it's more triggered for young people. Like it's triggered by life events. Like when Kenna got cut from her beloved soccer team, it, it triggered her grief for her dad, you know? Mm. Whereas like for me, my grief was just there every day. For Jazz, it 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 was more a little bit like mine because she was a little more old, she was older. Her brain was a little further along. Cause so much brain development is going on too at those ages. It's really, it's very challenging. That's all I can say. It's super challenging. I'm so glad that my daughter's gone through that time period and they're, you know, they're through it. Like I am, they're through it and they still miss their dad so much. I mean, they mm-hmm. still miss their dad. They don't have that great protector that you feel like you have when you have a father and I do my best. I'm pretty big mama bear. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a pretty big mama bear and, and I've definitely had my battles to fight and win with them, like with, with other people attacking them and so forth. And I do, I rise to the occasion when I need to.
1: I would imagine you just seem like that kind of person.
0: (laughs) I'm surprising because people don't realize that, but yeah, I definitely rise when I need to. And I've learned that that's part of integrating kind of a deeper masculine energy with my feminine energy. And that's been another gift is that I've had to do that. I've had to integrate those two energies and I've just become a much more strong, capable woman because of it.
1: That was beautifully said. A lot of us shy away from trying to work with both energies, but we need, both. We need uh, both. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience?
0: Just that if you are in loss right now, please don't isolate yourself. Please look for support and encouragement from community, from dear friends you know, for there's so much online, too, that you can look toward um, for support. And, you know, you can always visit me at christinecarlson.com. I have things on my website that are coming that are new and different all the time. And I'm always there for you. I'm, I'm here for people who are going through loss and grief, as well as for people who just want to live happier lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You help people with mindset and just seeing the world a different way and finding a renewed purpose and happiness and joy, all the good things. <laughs> you also have a podcast. <laughs> you um, also have retreats, which are also where you can go to figure that all out. And also the doula book. What was that again? It was called. Oh yeah. It's book com. book Fabulous. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You are a beautiful light in this world. It's a huge light in this world. And I'm so grateful for all of the teachings that both influence my life and many others.
0: Well, Amy, you are a huge light in this world. And I'm also grateful for having met you today. What a beautiful host you are. And what a great conversation we just had for your listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you.